15 to 29 this morning. Glad you are here. Uh, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm the lead pastor here. It's my privilege to, to uh, bring God's Word most Sundays. Um, if this is your first time here or you're a recent guest, uh, we're, we're glad you're here. We pray God's blessing on you. Um, as we gather in His name, um, as we gather here, uh, He visits with us. He makes Himself known. He teaches us. Uh, we encounter God. Uh, it's more than just a gathering of people who have uh, perhaps like ideas. Uh, it's the gathering of God's people, and God dwells amidst us. It's, it's actually a wild idea. The infinite, glorious God is here with us. And as we spend time in His Word, we are spending time really before Him, listening to Him. And we're continuing our series. We're in a series called Amazed. Uh, and as we're going through this, we are being uh, amazed by Jesus. The intent of this Gospel of Mark is to amaze us, is to show us Jesus in a way that, that it uh, captures our attention. And more than that, more than captures our attention, uh, calls us and beckons us to follow, to put our faith in Him and to follow. As feeble as those attempts might be, and we've seen that lately, haven't we? We've seen... Uh, how feeble the disciples can be in their faith at times. Uh, and that's on purpose. It's on purpose that it's there for us, uh, that it's recorded for us, that we would understand that following Jesus doesn't mean we have it together, we're perfect, we've got it all figured out, our faith meter is at 100 all the time. It just means that we're amazed by Him. And we're saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, and I want to learn what it is to follow you. So last week we learned about Jesus being the one to whom we must listen above all other voices. And how Peter, James, and John learned that lesson as they thought Jesus was perhaps on par with other voices from Scripture, Elijah and Moses. And, uh, and God made it very clear in, in the uncloaking of the glory of Jesus and in his at, words of affirmation that they must and we must listen to Jesus. Well, this week, the theme here and, and the teaching here is actually very similar, but the focus is really on putting our faith in Jesus. To be a disciple means to put our faith in Jesus. It means to put our trust in Him. It means to be captured uh, by who He is in some way. But it doesn't mean that we follow Him with strong faith. And the reality is that for us, if we're honest with ourselves, and if we read church history, we'll see it as well, that uh, Christians can both exhibit inspiring, heroic faith and also deep doubt and unbelief, and even disobedience. It's a journey for us. and It's a journey where we struggle with unbelief. We don't always believe like we should, but we're learning. Uh, Caesar Kalinowski, a pastor, says that discipleship, following after Jesus, is moving from unbelief to belief in every area of life. That's the process. Moving from unbelief to belief in every area of life. But often that journey is a bumpy one. Often it's difficult. Sometimes we feel more full of doubt than faith. So as we prepare to hear God's Word, just some thoughts. Where are you this morning? Where are you on the faith scale? If you had to put yourself on the scale, 1 to 10, 1 being or 0, maybe, you know, no faith or barely any faith, or 1 to 10, you know, just incredible faith like Elijah praying and the, and the rain comes, that sort of faith. What number would you give yourself? A one or two? A nine or ten? A 
a five? What, what has brought you to that place of having a four or a five or whatever your number is? What are the circumstances around your life right now? What are the voices in your life that perhaps have influenced where you are? What are the interpretations of how you're seeing life? Whether it's hard circumstances or good. What are the things that have influenced where you are? And, and then, more importantly, what does God want to do this morning through His Word for your life? I believe He wants to take you from unbelief to belief. He wants to address you and help you in your unbelief. He wants to answer the cry of the man in this story. I believe, help my unbelief. So let's take time before we dig into his word, to ask him to do just that, to ask him to come and help us in our unbelief, to build faith in us and to change us as a result. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful story, this wonderful passage, Lord, and that you've preserved it for us. You care about us this morning. You want to help us. You want to speak to us. And so I ask you, Lord, to do that. Would you speak to us, O God? Would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Speak to us in a way where it would be just as if Jesus were here instructing us in these truths. Lord, that's a tall order, way beyond us, way beyond me. But Lord, this is, this is how you want to use your word. This is why you've given us your word. It's your living word. It's living and active. And you, Holy Spirit, are jealous that we would understand and be illuminated, Lord, that your word would be illuminated. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to have your way. Illuminate the Word. Show us. Speak to us, O God. Change us. We pray. Help us in our unbelief. And do above and beyond all we would ask or imagine. Our God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please follow along with me, verses 14 through 29. In your Bible, if you have one in front of you. And if you don't, we can get you one. You can also follow on the screen. But nothing like having the words of the infinite glorious God in your very hands to look and read. Let's read, starting in verse 14. Jesus, by the way, just an introductory, they've come down from this mountain where he was transfigured. They're coming back, and that's where the story picks up. Verse 14, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. And he answered them, oh faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us 
and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. God's word from Mark chapter 9. This is a wonderful, I think very helpful story. I trust for all of us. I don't know about you, but I see myself in this story. I see myself in the frustrated disciples. I see myself in the discouraged father. I even see myself in the afflicted son. I am a man who struggles with doubt. I struggle with confusion, affliction. And sometimes I feel like I'm losing the battle. There was a time a few years ago where I was in a season... um, where I, was, I felt burnt out. I just felt burnt out in my life. I had gone through some disappointments and there were unmet expectations. Some of my dreams and ambitions hadn't come true, at least on my time scale. I had some unexpected course changes. And this was in a broad area of my life. Personal life, ministry, extended family, and so forth. Just things were tough. And I entered into really a season of just low-level discouragement and just a state of just trying to maintain things, just kind of surviving, getting by. And this kind of lurking doubt was at work in my life, just sapping me of energy and made me weary. Have you ever experienced that? Something like that? Are you there this morning? I think we all are at times, and maybe for some of us who have been there a long time. And a big part of that is the struggle with doubt. It's, it's being in a place where maybe circumstances, disappointments, maybe many other things, challenges we face are functioning in our lives and, and, and are leading us to, the, to, be, to doubt, to be tempted to doubt. And we struggle. And God cares about us. He cares about us in that situation. He cares about us in those low points. He cares about us when we feel burnt out, when there's just lurking, lingering doubt that's just hovering in our lives and defining us. He wants to rescue us. And so He has designed many ways to do that. He has designed this part of Scripture, this passage, for the purpose of rescuing us, for the purpose of teaching us how to live how to struggle with unbelief, and what we ought to do. It is our prayer, even at our best moments as Christians. If 
you are a believer, even at your very best moments. Your prayer is still, I believe, help my unbelief. And God wants to do that. What we're going to learn as we go through this passage is that we are to look to Jesus to help us in our unbelief. Simple message, right? Always the right answer, Jesus. We look to Jesus to help us in our unbelief. That's the main point here. What I want to do is just walk through this passage and and discover aspects of this, how Jesus helps us in our unbelief. One I want to talk about, he helps us. We are looking to Jesus to help us in our unbelief, though faced with consuming trials. I think you have notes that, that outline this. We are to look to Jesus to help us in our unbelief by remembering who God is. And third, to the power of persevering prayer. So let's just go through and learn about these things. The storyline is that Jesus is coming down from the mountain. He had shown his glory to his three, uh, three of his disciples, the kind of three core leaders, Peter, James, and John. His glory had been uncloaked to them. And he comes down and there's this large crowd there. Somewhere down at the bottom of the mountain or wherever they happen to be. They encounter this large crowd and, and they're arguing with some scribes. The scribes are, are leaders, they're teachers, they're authorities in, in the Bible. Um, they were guys that did it either part-time or full-time. They, they probably would have memorized the entire Bible. They're, they're Bible experts. And they're arguing. They're arguing with the disciples. There's this commotion going on. Arguing with the, the the disciples and the scribes and the crowds there, and, and Jesus sees the crowd and, and asks, well, what's going on? And, and someone speaks up. It's the father of the son in the story. And tells the story, tells his woe, his story of woe. And then Jesus' response to what has gone on is, is to say in exasperation, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? He, he's responding to the commotion by pointing out that this is a faithless generation. And so he's bringing a point to the story here. He's saying, guys, this is about faith or lack thereof. That's what's going on here. The whole reason for this commotion, the reason that there's a problem here, the reason that you're arguing together, the reason the scribes are contentious, the reason that the disciples are ineffective, the reason that the crowd is all stirred up, the reason that the Father is disappointed, ultimately is lack of faith. And he says, oh, faithless generation. He sees their faith, lack of faith. He sees the whole situation as summed up by lack of faith. And it's for the whole lot. I think he's speaking about everybody. And he's saying this because he has given plenty of evidence for them to think and act differently. This isn't Jesus just having a bad day. You know, he came down from the mountain, he was in a bad mood. Oh, faithless generation, I'm so sick and tired of it. No, this is Jesus having demonstrated again and again his lordship over all things. Right? We've been following the storyline, right? There's not been a single thing that he's not dramatically and convincingly and powerfully demonstrated lordship over, right? Everything, every bad thing that the world could throw at us, he is just taken care of. Demons, storms, death, sickness, sin, right? Again and again. Food, he's fed the 5,000, he's fed the 4,000. Again and again, he's demonstrated who he is, that he is God in their midst, 
And yet, again and again, these disciples and the crowd and others don't believe. So his description is actually accurate. And what's good news in this is that he doesn't just stay there. He just doesn't say, oh, faithless generation, I'm out of here. But he intervenes. He comes in and he, he rescues and he gives an object lesson to everybody. And he gives an object lesson to us. Have you ever thought about that? God has chosen what's in Scripture. And there's a whole process behind that. There's what Jesus actually did. And then there's what was recorded. And, and then God has preserved it so that you, today, this morning, could receive this object lesson in faith. Because he wants to speak to you. And he wants to teach you something. So that's what's going on here. Jesus is teaching. This is a teaching moment through the situation. It's been preserved for us. So it's a teaching moment for us as well. And we are really no different than the crowd in the, in the scene here. We live life like what's going on there. There's commotion. There's ruckus. There's fighting. There's arguing. Struggling. Wondering. Doubting. Going on all the time. It's not just in this scenario. It's in our lives. And He wants to intervene. He wants to step into the midst of our lives just like He steps into the situation here and change things. And change us. And meet us in our frail and weak faith and our unbelief. And transform us. See, there's a journey here. He's taking the disciples on a journey to grow them, to teach them about faith, to teach them about Himself. Even in the midst of overwhelming circumstances. And it's interesting just to step back and think about what's going on here. He comes and he intervenes. He meets them even amidst these overwhelming circumstances. And there's different things going on here. There's a context. There's a reason in some ways that there's unbelief. And, and the Father is kind of the, the focal point because He's the one who says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. But there's other contributors. First, we have the scribes there. They're arguing with the disciples. We've learned earlier in the story, the scribes are actively opposing Jesus. So these are guys, they're not interested in kind of learning about Jesus. They've already made up their minds. They don't believe He's true. They believe He's actually demonized himself, right? We saw that earlier. They, they believe that. So they're, they're actively opposed. So this arguing isn't to discover. They're basically probably saying to the disciples, you know, look, your, your, your master isn't who he says is. You can't do it. This is untrue. Or whatever else they're saying. They're probably actually using their expertise. These guys are, are educated. They are smart. They are respected. They're in authority. They would have memorized the whole Bible. They could quote it. They knew the themes. They knew the points. They knew the angles to take. They knew all the best arguments. And they are bringing pressure. They're bringing doubt. That's what they're working as they argue. These guys had rejected Jesus and they had missed the point. As smart as they were, as well trained in the Scripture as they were, as probably well aware of the themes and main points of Scripture as they were, they had missed the main point of Scripture. The main point of Scripture is Jesus. It's meant to point us to Jesus. So we put our faith in Him and know God and walk with God through Christ. And these guys had missed it. And they were actively opposing Jesus. 
And it's really hard to be full of faith when there's really smart people, gifted people, respected people, who are arguing persuasively about what we believe. And there are a lot of modern-day scribes out there arguing with good arguments against faith, against our faith. They're arguing for their faith. Everybody has faith, by the way. They're arguing for their faith and against our faith. And it can be hard to believe uh, at times when we live in an environment that's hostile like that. Now, no matter how smart they are, if they're not acknowledging Jesus, they're missing the main point, and so they're ultimately foolish. We're all foolish. And I don't have time to get into apologetics and to help explain to you why their arguments are ultimately unfounded, but they are there, and they do affect us. And it's hard to have faith in a world full of scribes. And that's part of what's going on here. Second group, you have the ineffective disciples. These are the disciples, the twelve. These are the ones who go out in Jesus' name and cast out demons and heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. These are the ones who are supposed to carry forward the mission. They're supposed to image Christ. These are the ones who who should be proclaiming the gospel and demonstrating the kingdom in such a convincing way that it captures everyone's attention. And they say there's something different about these guys. This stuff must be true. That's what they're supposed to be doing. But they're not here, are they? They themselves are ineffective. They can't cast the demon out. We don't know what went on. But it's not working. Whatever went on, it's not working. They're ineffective. They're pathetic. They're incompetent. And they probably look pretty silly and useless at this moment. With some caveats, it's actually not too unlike the disciples today. We can be very ineffective at times. The followers of Christ can be very ineffective We make lots of claims about Jesus. We love to proclaim who He is. We love and we're called to proclaim the kingdom. We are called to to proclaim that He rescues us from sin, to know Him, and He's he's working through us. We're to proclaim the kingdom and be used by Him to help establish the kingdoms. The kingdom. One kingdom. Yet our lives often show just the opposite. Often we're ineffective. We are people who still struggle with sin. We're often defeated by life. Sometimes we're not that different from the world. Just as fearful, just as selfish, just as interested in pursuing idols. Merely living for fleeting pleasures. It's hard to believe when you live in a world full of ineffective disciples. We need to acknowledge that reality. Then there are the circumstances too. These are are the circumstances for this father and this son. Think about the circumstances. Think about if you were in the father's shoes, what life would be like. The father has been living with his son for some years with this condition. And the condition looks like epilepsy, but it's not. Some of the symptoms are similar, but it's demonization. That's not the same as epilepsy. Two different things. There is muteness in this boy's life. He doesn't speak, and probably we would assume that there's no speaking going on. The demon has robbed him of his voice. Then the demon throws him down, tries to get him to go into the fire, or into the water to drown. He's trying to kill the boy. And then in the course of the conversation, Jesus says, how long? He says, from childhood. 
the words that are used for, for boy and son it would indicate it's, a, it's, a, it's not a man, it's not a, you know, it's not a 20 year old, probably not even a 15 year old, maybe like a 10 or 11 year old. So from childhood, from being a little, little tyke, this has been happening. And think what it would be like to live with a, a son for one day like that. You don't know at what moment something's going to happen. You don't know at what moment he's going to convulse and fall down. You don't know at what moment he might throw himself down the stairs or throw himself here, or do this. You don't know what's going to happen, and you live like that. Just for a day. What would that day be like? And then imagine you wake up the next morning, and it's the same day. Maybe it goes on through the night. And then the same week. And then the same month. And then the same year. Year after year after year. This is your life. These are overwhelming circumstances for this father. Overwhelming. This is his life. And what happens when people have long-term trials like this, they can just end up in a stupor state. They're just, not, they're just trying to survive. They're just getting by. They're not even thinking about much of anything. If I can just make it through today, that's it. And it's hard for them to lift up their eyes and conceive of something different than, than the situation they're in. They can get stuck, and it's just about survival. So it's hard. It's hard to believe when your world is full of overwhelming trials and disappointments. And maybe you feel like the father. Maybe there's something that's been going on in your life. Maybe not this severe. I don't imagine it is. But maybe there's some disappointment. Some strong disappointment that you have to face every day. And so it's understandable, if you're in that place, why it's hard to believe. Why there's unbelief. And you might be in the place where... You say with the Father, I believe. Help my unbelief. And the Lord wants to help you. If you're not a believer, we're glad you're here. And the call is the same to you as it is to all of us. Jesus wants to help you. He wants to help you believe. He wants to help you struggle through unbelief. And He wants to show up in your life and change everything. And that's what goes on in this story. The, the theme of the story is not these circumstances. But I did want to take time so that we would understand and get the weight of the circumstances. But that's not, that's not the main theme. The, the main characters of the story are not all this. It's Jesus. Jesus shows up in this world. And Jesus shows up in our world to come and bring rescue, to help us in our unbelief, to bring faith and change. So let's continue with the story. The next point. He helps us with our unbelief by remembering who God is. By remembering who God is. God is. The father, the father in the story has all these circumstances crushing in on him. He's got the scribes there telling him, no, I don't believe this is a false Messiah. He's got the inept disciples around him. He's got a lot of things against them, but he's got one thing going for him, right? Jesus. You might be thought I was going to say faith. And yeah, there's some faith he says, I believe, but that's ultimately not the best thing he has going for him because faith by itself means nothing. But Jesus means everything. That's what he has going for him. Jesus is here. Jesus is on the, the scene. And he doesn't know what he has. The father doesn't know what he, the, the earthly father doesn't know what he has in the person of Jesus right in front of him. It makes all the difference that Jesus shows up in the, the scene. And for him, it's just, he, his faith is, I, we don't even know, it's barely any faith. 
but he's willing to give Jesus a try. And that's a great place to start. And maybe that's where you are today. I don't know, but I'm willing to give him a try. That's a wonderful first step. And maybe you're a believer, you believe, but you feel like that today. I, I don't know, I'm barely able to do anything, but I'm willing to give him a try. He will not disappoint. He is faithful, and he wants to call you to trust in him. And so there's this interaction with the Father. That he he uh, describes to Jesus what's going on. Actually, Jesus says, bring him the Son to me. The Son, the, the demon throws him down. He goes into a convulsion and everything. Jesus starts asking the Father about, tell me about this. How long has it gone on? And he describes that. And the Father, you know, is experiencing once again the horror of his everyday existence with his Son, whom he loves. And in the midst of this, he says something profound. It shows where his heart is. It shows where his life is. And it's the point that Jesus addresses. He says this, But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. But if you can do anything. And Jesus goes right after that statement. Because the Father, it's, it's just, there's just a glimmer of faith. Maybe there's something Jesus could do. Whoever he is. He's some sort of prophet maybe or more. If he can do anything. We'll take it. Help us, please. And Jesus goes right after that and says, if I can. If I can. He, if you can. So he's, he's quoting the, the man. If you can. He's addressing that assumption. That this man's assumption about who Jesus is is all wrong. There's no if with Jesus. There's no if you can with Jesus. He's not a mere man. He's not a mere prophet. He's not even a mere miracle worker. He is God Himself in the flesh, standing there right in front of Him. He is God. And there's no if you can with God. God does whatever He pleases to do. There's no conditional statement with God. He is the ultimate one. There is no principle, there is no procedure, there is no power or anything that stands before God to whom He must answer. He is the ultimate one. He is the ultimate condition. He is the one who determines all things. He is the ultimate reality. And everything is determined by Him and subject to His approval. He's not waiting around for anybody's permission. There's no if you can with God. That's so important to get. There's no circumstance with God that's bigger than God. And what do we do when there's doubt? What are we doing when we doubt? We're saying the circumstance is God. If you can, God, I know you're kind of getting old and you're feeble, you know, but maybe if you can, you can help me with this deal. And we put the circumstance or the trial or whatever it is, and maybe it's something we're asking for, as more powerful than God Himself. There's no if you can with God. God does whatever He pleases. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. There's no one else like God. He rules over all things. Now we like to think about, you know, what it would be like if we could be like God. And we don't phrase it that way, but we do it through literature and stories. Right? Uh, games we play. Anyone, uh, you know the story of Aladdin and the lamp? 
right? Great story. And you ever play that game with somebody? If you had three wishes, what would you wish for? Right? And the person, if they're smart, always says, I would wish for three more wishes would be my first wish and all that. You know, but the, the thought there is that, you know, if I could ask for anything, what would I ask for? Well, God gets to do that all the time. And it's not three wishes. It's millions and millions and millions of wishes. He, he can wish. He wants. He can do. And He does all He pleases. There's no if you can with God. You must understand His sovereignty and His reign and rule in that way. There's no if. This father, amidst his challenging circumstances, was failing to see that there's no if you can with God. There's no if you can with Jesus. He does all that He pleases. And so Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. All things are possible for one who believes. Now the point in this is that Jesus is saying, when you believe in the one who can do anything he pleases, all things are possible. Now some people have misunderstood this verse and other verses like it. And said, well, you know, it's, you just got to believe and then all things are possible. And God's not even in the equation. Or it's a God that's not the God of the Bible. You know, you just got to believe and he'll get you that, you know, you'll win the lottery or he'll get you that car or the prosperity gospel is built around these ideas. I just got to have enough faith and then I can make God do things. That's just ridiculous. And often the focus is faith in faith. I just need to have stronger faith. No, that's not the point at all. It's faith in God. He's the one who can do all things. And the point of this is not to put our faith in faith. That's the a dog chasing its tail. There's, it just goes nowhere. All things are possible for him who believes because all things are possible with God. God does all that he pleases. And he loves to hear us ask. And he loves to respond to us in our asking. And he loves to be pleased to do what we ask. He's gracious. And he can do all things, but he's determined to use the prayers of His people and the asking and the believing of His people. And so you participate with Him in what He's doing and Him doing all things when you come to Him and believe Him and ask Him to do all things. To do His will. He is the one. He wants us to know that. He wants us to know who He is. He wants us to put our faith in Him. He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to know Him. And Jesus in this moment wants this man to know who He is. He wants wants the man to put his faith in Him. There's no if with God. He calls us to remember who He is. And that's how He addresses our unbelief. That's one important part. He addresses our unbelief by calling us to remember who He is. To calling us to behold who He is. Calling us to to recognize that He can do all things. He can do whatever He pleases. And there's no circumstance. There's no want. there's There's no challenge that's above Him. And He's demonstrated that He's gracious and kind and favorably disposed to us. He's... He does that through creation. All of mankind benefits from what's called common grace. It's just God's blessing on everybody. 
He rules and reigns. He made, made all things. He sustains all things. He gives us food, clothing, and shelter every day. He organizes our world. And, and as we you know, dig deeper and deeper through science into creation, we just, you start to see the vastness of creation. It's not only vast in its size in the cosmos, but vast in the microscopic side. Just as vast. It's just amazing. And all these things are going on all the time. He sustains them all because of His grace and His goodness. And He's good. He's shown Himself in creation. But even more importantly, He's shown Himself through His Son. What He's like. He came and God Himself, the Infinite One, dwelt among us as a man. He took on flesh. He humbled Himself. He became the servant of all. He lived a life of serving and loving others and giving His life away for others. He proclaimed truth. He always obeyed His Father. He taught. He healed. He loved. And then He took this precious life and He gave it up on the cross and sacrificed for you to pay for your sins so that you could be forgiven for your rebellion, my rebellion against a holy and gracious God. He gave up Himself voluntarily on the cross that through faith, as you put your faith in Him, you might receive all the benefits of His death and of His sacrifice. Full forgiveness and full acceptance on His behalf before the Father through His righteousness. This is who He is. This is His character. This is His wisdom and His glory. He rose again on the third day victorious over sin and death. This is who God is. And He wants us to remember who He is. And believe Him and ask. So He says wonderful things in Scripture. In line with this, he challenges us to believe him at his word. He challenges us. He's challenging you right now, this morning, to believe him. And to not say, if you can, maybe, I don't know. But to trust him for who he is. Listen to some of the promises. Psalm 81. This little snippet from Psalm 81.10. He says, he's speaking to his people here. He says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He wants us to open our mouths like a, a little baby bird opening up its mouth to be fed. Open your mouths wide. Ask of me and I will answer. Matthew 7, 7-11, through 11, this is Jesus' teaching. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For, ev- for everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He says, ask. I know how to give good gifts. You know how to give good gifts. I'm God. You're not. Don't you think I'm better at giving good gifts than you are? So ask. Seek. Knock. Psalm 37.4, I know we might preach through this recently. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's an incredible promise. Come to Him. Ask of Him. Be transformed in the asking. You'll find the desires of your heart transformed as you come to Him. And He will give you the desires of your heart. God wants us to believe Him and ask of Him that He might give. That He might give to us. Yes, in His wisdom. In His terms. See, he's really smart. We ask for things that aren't always smart. We might ask for just comfort. 
I just want a job that pays me you know, 200000 a year. I want vacations. I want cars. I want all the... We may ask for those things. He loves us too much to give us those things because he knows the best for us is another plan. To bless us through a tapestry of things that he brings to our life. But he wants us to ask. And we have not because we ask not. He wants us to see and remember who he is. Dave Harvey tells the story of a woman in Sri Lanka. Her name is Lalani Jasya Singe. She lived in the southernmost part of Sri Lanka. She was widowed 12 years after her wedding. And she lived in a simple home with no plumbing. She had a few earthly reasons to be joyful and content, but she, and she was a Christian, an active member of her local church. A few years ago, Lalani was chosen to represent her church for a meeting in the capital city of Colombo to discuss the current challenges that Sri Lankan Christians were facing with persecution. Lalani herself had experienced serious persecution when one day her husband had been brutally killed by local monks. They marched into the house, killed him right there in the house, and she had lost her husband. So now, some years later, Lalani took this all-day trip to Colombo for the meeting where many churches were gathering for updates and prayer and support and to strategize on how to respond to the violence. When asked how things were with her church, she replied, Wonderful! Praise the Lord! Later, she gave a more detailed report telling how the local opposition that week had organized a protest march against her church and had burned down the thatched roof. Stunned by the news, someone in the meeting asked why she said that everything was wonderful. Obviously, she answered enthusiastically, since the thatch is gone, God must intend to give us a metal roof. This is a woman who remembered who her God is and didn't define her experience by circumstances. She looked beyond to who God was and understood even in persecution, even in burning down our thatched roof, God is big enough to give us a metal roof. And what an example. This woman had lost her husband, killed pretty much in front of her eyes. But she remembered who her God is. And she was not saying, if you can. She was saying, when you do. She was believing God. There's no if you can with God. Let us be like Lalani. Let us remember who our God is and find power in our, to, to come out of our unbelief. Final point. The final point is that God helps us in our unbelief through the power of persevering prayer. This man's prayer is, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And that's a prayer. And that's a good place to start. To say, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Because sometimes we won't even get there, right? We won't even pray. We won't even ask. We'll just try to survive. Or we'll complain. Or, or something will go on in our lives. We'll, we'll go in some other direction. We'll throw ourselves at the problem. We'll just work harder. We'll just do more of the activities that we think might help. And yet sometimes the, the best, and really the, the best first answer, is at least, I believe, help me in my unbelief. 
Well, Jesus responds to that prayer, doesn't He? And the Father has His miracle. The Son is delivered from the demon. The demon is gone. He's gone. There's no more trial for this man. There's no more son who's demonized. Jesus says, get out and never come back. And his word is obeyed. This, this boy is freed. The father gets his miracle. And we don't know what happens. The story doesn't go into that. And I'm sure, you know, it just was wonderful for the father. Celebration back at his home and with his village, I imagine. But the story doesn't go into that because this is an object lesson for the disciples and for us. So what's preserved is what we need to know. And so the story just ends right there. The father gets his miracle. And then they go back to the house. It's maybe later on that day and they're staying at a house. And the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, well, why couldn't we cast this one out? Why couldn't we, why couldn't we do it? And it's interesting to see his answer. Do you see his answer there? This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now some manuscripts say prayer and fasting. That's a later editorial edition, one that fits in line because prayer and fasting go together. But it's, it's really anything but prayer. And if you flip over to Matthew, we won't go there. If you look in Matthew 17, he actually doesn't talk about prayer. He talks about faith. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, get up and be going to the sea, and it will do so. That's what he says in Matthew 17. So it's interesting here that he says, can only come out, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What I think he's saying is, prayer is a key to faith. Prayer is a key to faith. If you are struggling with unbelief, pray and ask, and you will find yourself changed. Life is more difficult than then we know and we expect life is more difficult than just getting by with run-of-the-mill basic prayer. We need we, basic faith. We need our faith strengthened. We need to pray. We need to learn to pray. And God will meet us in our prayer. He will strengthen us in our prayer. We deal with unbelief through the power of persevering prayer. We must ask God. He's given us this gift. He's saying, here, here's the gift of prayer. Are you struggling with unbelief? Are you in hard circumstances? Here, here's a gift. If you use this, you'll find your faith increased and strengthened. And you'll find your authority in the Lord extended. I will do things through your prayers beyond what you experience with a prayerless life. And I just wonder if our unbelief is connected to our lack of prayer. And if you're struggling with unbelief, maybe what you need to do is ask God to forgive you for your prayerlessness. And then receive that forgiveness full and free and start praying. Pray. Pray continually. Pray earnestly. Ask. Persevere. And he will work. I love the story of George Mueller. He was a man, he was a pastor and ran an orphanage back in the later 1800s. He was a man of great faith. We hear the stories about his faith, right? God doing amazing things. But if, if you're not careful, you can miss the point that his faith was born of a life of earnest prayer. He was a man who sought the Lord and prayed, would pray for long times and pray through his Bible. 
He sought the Lord and he prayed and God built him up and used him as a, a wonderful prayer warrior and a man of great faith. And there are loads of stories. I could tell stories for the next three hours on George Mueller and things that happened. Listen to this one. I think we have this to show as I go along. This is just one story that illustrates this man's life of extraordinary faith through prayer. Um, the following incident from the life of George Mueller is related um, by Mr. Inglis, who heard, it from a story of a, uh, heard the story from the captain of the very ship with whom uh, Mueller prayed. The man says, When I first came to America 31 years ago, I, I crossed the Atlantic with the captain of a steamer who was one of the most devoted men I, I ever knew. And we were off the banks of Newfoundland. Uh, he said to me, Mr. Inglis, the last time I crossed here five weeks ago, one of the most extraordinary things happened, which has completely revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. Up to that time, I was one of your, quote, ordinary Christians. We had a man of God on board, George Mueller of Bristol. I had been on that bridge for 24 hours and never left it. I was startled by someone tapping me on the shoulder. It was George Mueller. Captain, he said, I have come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. This was Wednesday. It is impossible, I said. Very well, if your ship can't take me, God will find some other means of locomotion to take me. I have never broken an engagement in 57 years. I would willingly help you. How can I? I'm helpless. Let us go down to the chart room and pray. I looked at that man of God and I thought to myself, what lunatic asylum could that man have come from? I've never heard of such a thing. Mr. Muller, I said, do you know how dense the fog is? No, he replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He got down on his knees and prayed one of the most simple prayers. I muttered to myself, that would suit a children's class where the children were not more than eight or nine years old. The burden of his prayer was something like this. O Lord, if it is consistent with thy will, please remove this fog in five minutes. You know the engagement you made for me in Quebec Saturday. I believe it is your will. When he finished, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. First, you do not believe he will. And second, I believe he has. And there is no need whatever for you to pray about it. I looked at him. And George Mueller said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 47 years, and there has never been a single day that I have failed to gain an audience with my king. Get up, Captain, and open the door, and you will find the fog is gone. I got up, and the fog was gone. The captain says, you tell that to some people of a scientific turn of mind, and they will say that that is not according to natural laws. No, it is according to spiritual laws. The God with whom we have to do is omnipotent. Hold on to God's omnipotence. Ask believingly. On Saturday afternoon, I may add, George Mueller was there on time. Great story from the, uh, a newspaper of that day reported. So, are you struggling with unbelief? Are you struggling with doubt? Are you struggling with circumstances? Are you struggling with issues maybe in your marriage or your children? Your church, this church maybe, your neighborhood, your workplace. Pray. 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 Persevere in prayer. Ask. Pray. Pray personally. 
Pray as a couple if you're married. Pray in your small groups. Pray during your commute. Pray as you read your Bible. Pray as you study. Pray if you're a student as you take tests. Pray as you listen to others in their struggles. Come to church-wide prayer once a month. Guys, the the reality is is we've had hardly anybody at church-wide prayer for about six months. And I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty because I'm I'm not interested in your guilt. But I am interested in your hearts. I am interested in what God would do in and through this church. And there are many ways to pray, so you don't need to come at all. But I think if we get these truths, we'll pack the place out. We will find all the opportunities we can to pray and to ask. If the promises are as great as this, and God is as great as we see Him in the book, and He's as amazing, and He cares about us this morning, and in this place, and He wants to work consistent, then let's ask Him to do it. Let's pray and not doubt and not live in unbelief. But to ask Him to help us in our unbelief and to do above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. Let's pray. If the band could come up as we close. In some ways, I don't think we have a right, if we can put it that way, to expect great things from God in our lives, personally, in our marriages, in our church, in our community, if we don't pray. God responds to prayer, to faith. He responds to faith. It's not because our faith is power in and of itself. It's because we're saying, God, I believe you, I want you. He loves to respond to that, and he he acts accordingly. And he wants to do great things. May it not be that we don't see great things because we don't pray. And we don't pray even just starting with this simple prayer, I believe, help my unbelief. He cares about us in our unbelief. And this wonderful story is here to help us. He wants to help us in our unbelief through persevering prayer. He wants to help us in our unbelief by giving us strength to remember and realize who He is. He wants to help us in our unbelief that we might overcome overwhelming circumstances in our lives. This is Jesus. He's shown up on the scene here, and He's shown up on the scene right here, and He wants to help us. So let us go to Him, and let us do that as we close in prayer right now. Lord, we pray, and we ask You, Lord, and we say we believe, but we ask You to help us in our unbelief.